This podcast is brought to you by Heart of the Father Ministries, Winter Haven. Today's sermon is by Eric Miller. How many is ready for the word? There we go. Amen. All right. <laughs> well, we're thankful that the Millers are here. Uh, again, they're not a guest, they're family. We, we support them as a body, uh, as missionaries, and we're so grateful to do that. It is, how many believe that's great soil that we're sowing into? Um, every time Eric's been, there's been a tremendous deposit into our community. His family, his children love the Lord. They are a tremendous example, and we're just excited to see all that the Lord, on behalf of the elders and the team here, we're grateful to have the Millers and all that the Lord's going to use him for today. So we excited and ready? All right, come on, Eric, let's get ready to receive the word. Let's give him a hand. Well, good morning. It's good to be back with you all today. Looking forward to coming and connecting with you guys. And uh, we do, first of all, want to say thank you so much for your support. You know, this year and I guess like three months now, (laughs) we've been in the States and we, uh, uh, for those who may or may not know, we're missionaries to the Philippines and have been there for about 17 years up until COVID last year, we're still missionaries. Um, just not where we would like to be, but well, we like being here. Actually, you know, it's been good. We've we feel like the mission feel like John Wesley said the the world is my pulpit. I think that's what he said. You know, so wherever we go, we want to make an impact for Jesus. Uh, we have a a love and affection for the Filipino people. And for Asia, and uh, amen. But thank you so much for supporting us. It's actually been a great blessing and help. Um, we've continued to fund the ministry, uh, and, you know, and so into our Filipino leaders. Um, the Lord's just really raised up. Since we've been here, one of the best things that's happened is that we got out of the way. And, uh, and those leaders that we've been discipling and people we've been working with for years, they had to come up and take different leadership roles. Some of them already did, but the responsibility just wasn't the same because we were there to lean on. And uh, it's been tremendous. There's been, I, I could spend the whole time talking to you about testimonies of just what's happening with our graduates from Fire School of Ministry the people who work in the feeding program. Uh, Some of you may be uh, following us. Um, There was a fire, I think it was in uh, March, uh, somewhere, March around there, in the area where we've ministered, a very poor squatter village for since 2003. We've been ministering there. And average income is about maybe $20 a week. And uh, you can imagine, homes are built right on top of each other, right over the water on the beach side. And, you know, there, there's thousands of people that uh, just everywhere, open sewer and kids running around, and it's, it's wild. And so we've, that's where our feeding program is, you know, and the kids we always minister to. But there was a fire, and about 500 families lost their homes. And this is the second time that that's happened. The first time was in uh, 2000, I 
think it was nine or somewhere around then. And it's, it's just heartbreaking because many of them cannot work this past year because of COVID. And the Philippines is still shut down. It's very restrictive on people coming and going. And if you're in the Philippines, you have to wear a face mask and a face shield. And it's, it's hot. <laughs> it's, it's humid there. You know, it's hot in Florida, but it's hot and humid in the Philippines, you know. And it gets humid here, I guess, around summer. We're not normally here in summer. But it's, uh, it's been a challenge. But we were able to help rebuild with some of the funds that came in, about uh, 20 homes. And uh, it costs about $500 a home. And we are so grateful for all of those who've been sowing and supporting the church so thank you so much. Despite us not being there, we're seeing the kingdom built. Isn't that awesome? Because Jesus is there. So it's his church, and uh, he knows how to build it. And, uh, you know, and actually, just to update you again, we actually we took a missions trip to Hawaii. Anybody want to go on a missions trip to Hawaii? That was the absolute last place in the world that I thought we would ever go to. But it was the Lord's will, brother, I'll just tell you. I still feel a calling there, you know. But uh, we have friends. Uh, I don't know if you remember you guys from Brownsville, Rod and Marion Hall. Do you remember them? Okay. The Hall family, they have like seven kids. They're all grown up, and they have one that's not married yet. And uh, they have worked with Lou Angle for years. I mean, since the early days of the call traveled and they're incredible intercessors they fast and pray more than probably anybody we know and uh and so they've been inviting us to come to our school to share it there uh lou angle had started a, a ministry school called ekbalo school of ministry and so it's there and it means ekbalo is a greek word for send and so they have one in pasadena and i think somewhere else on the west coast and then uh, rod marion uh, went and also started the one in Hawaii, uh, just south of Kona, on the big island of Hawaii, about an hour and a half. And we were there for about almost a month. And it was, it was incredible, You just training the students. I didn't realize how much need there was for the gospel in Hawaii. Um, and so many Hawaiians are very hard against America because they feel like their land was taken from them and um, and so there's, there's a lot of real pain, but there was a move of God that took place in Hawaii over a hundred years ago. And, uh, just, it was one of the most powerful revivals I think that this world has ever seen. And, and I didn't know much about it. And when we got there and just heard, um, you know, there was all these incredible stories, but then, you know, just the pain and the suffering and the challenges that people went through. And then, uh, I mean, economically, you know, it, it's great because it's connected to America, but, and there's tourism and everything, but when you, when, you know, as a missionary, when you go to these places, you want to you wanna meet the heart of the people. <laughs> you know, you want to know what's going on with them, what matters to them. And uh, it, was, it was just a powerful time. We, we feel like we're going to be going there to do some more teaching in the future, just in raising up and sending out missionaries. Rod and Marion have a vision to raise up and send out 100,000 missionaries. This is not something that came up last week. This is something that's been on them for over 20 years. And they've prayed into with Lou Angle and, 
And uh, it was pretty cool. We got to do a, a video chat with Lou Engel for a little bit. And, uh, yeah, it's been amazing. Despite not being in the Philippines, we've seen great things. And uh, thank you so much. I, I do have something to add on to what Derek was saying because I really felt the worship was powerful this morning. Wasn't it just awesome? Je thank you, Jessica and worship team. It was really great. And what uh, Derek was going on in Isaiah 61 Yesterday, somebody gave us um, uh, several tickets to go to Disney World, or not Disney, uh, Sea World, one of those worlds over there. <laughs> and uh, and we go, I have been to Sea World in, I, I don't know how long, it's been many, many years. And so we went, and we were with a large group of people, and there was another family that came down from Pennsylvania, wonderful family in the ministry, worship leaders and everything. And as we're getting to go on a ride where one of those roller coasters, which if, if you struggle with the fear of the Lord, I would encourage you to go on one of these roller coasters. <laughs> I went on one. Yes. What was the one we went on that the Manta? Did you anybody go on that? Okay. Anybody closer to Jesus because of that? I'm just going to tell you there was a point where I like roller coasters. Okay. I'm not, you know, but I, my life passed before me at one moment. <laughs> We were on this roller coaster, and, you know, you're like, yeah, going, you know, and you're locked in, and you're, like, flying and stuff. But there was a point where I didn't know what direction I was going in. I, and, and like, I don't know what you call them, if it was G-forces or some force, something. I just, I was like, yeah. Yeah. Uh, you know, and what was that? You know, you know, I was like, Jesus, there you are <laughs> going to see Jesus today. But wow. But while we're going on in the line to walk uh, to get on another roller coaster, um, there were some folks coming by. And so it was really close. And one of the guys who's around my age, he's got his kids and his wife with him and all of us around. I'm walking behind them. He uh Apparently, I bumped into this young lady, and they were, he was like, oh, I'm sorry, and, and we just, nobody thought a thing about it. But we get to the top, and this young lady had told the security guards that he grabbed her. And so we had police at the top of the roller coaster, and we're like dumbfounded, you know, what, what, what happened? And so we're sitting there waiting and talking through and everything, and, and the guy is just like, you know, I mean, he's like the nicest guy in the world, and, and, and just was shocked, and we're like, is there cameras anywhere? Yeah, we're going to look at the video footage, and so we talked for probably a good 30, 40 minutes with the police, and uh, the young lady was down on another side, they had taken her down there, and so it was this accusation. And they said, well, look, we're going to take your information, the guy's information, and we're going to contact you later after we see the footage and everything. It's kind of a heavy thing. You know, you're there with your family to enjoy. It's fun and everything. And then it's like, Whoa. And that's, that's what accusations do sometimes from the enemy. You know, they try to bind you up. I mean, you go to work one day, right, and you're feeling great. You got your Dunkin' Donuts coffee, and all of a sudden somebody cuts you off and, you know, curses you and, you know, 
and and you keep your peace, right? You know, and uh, and and it and it can like that. And and I just I just sensed that there were some people that had some accusations of the enemy against them, that that God just wants to encourage you to know that He's broken that off of you through the blood of Jesus. Because what happened later that day is that there was a uh, uh, we bumped into the police officer. Sent. He goes, oh, hey, here you guys are. He said, hey, I just want you to know that it's done. There was nothing there. And he knew there was nothing. But when somebody says, I say as an authority, there's nothing. I want to tell you, there's nothing. The blood of Jesus says over you today, there's nothing. There's not a single thing that the enemy can say against you, accuse you with. You are free in Jesus' name. Come on, we just need to shout for a moment in Jesus' name. We are free in Jesus' name. We declare freedom and wholeness. As Derek prophesied, as Jessica sang songs of deliverance before, God, in Jesus' name, I proclaim freedom to the captives today. Hallelujah. Lord, we receive what we already know we believe. <laughs> because we know that what you say is true. And let God be true and every man a liar. Lord, we declare that the liar, the accuser of the brethren, God, does not have a right to my mind, does not have a right to my life, because Jesus says, you are free, you are clean, you are holy, you are pure. I don't see you the same way that I used to see you. In fact, I don't even remember what that looks like. In Jesus' name. Come on, Jesus. <laughs> Hallelujah. Yeah, or is Jessica probably with the baby or something? But I just want to say, you know, when she was singing that old Michael W. Smith song, I love when people sing songs that matter to them. You know, because you could, you could sing anything, but then when you sing about I remember, and you heard her testimony, and just how that means so much. I'm telling you, some of you, you have songs that God wants you to just keep singing. I'm supposed to talk about evangelism, but, you know, um, but I want to tell you, I, you have songs that you like to sing, and I want to encourage you to never stop singing those songs. Look, I know there's new music and stuff. My kids, you know, they're like, you know, our dad is, you know, stuck in Brownsville Revival music, you know, and, and it's not because there's no good music or things. There's just nothing like Brownsville music to me, but... And, but, but when I sing that stuff, I'm, I'm just worshiping. I'm, I've been crying over the same songs for 20 plus years. You know what I mean? Because you remember the wonders of the Lord. You remember the goodness and the grace of God and what he did at that moment. Never forget those things. I don't care what anybody says about your music, if it sounds old fogey-ish or something. You know, uh, we, we just had a, a cool situation in Hawaii a month before we went there. There's an old worship leader named Bob Fitz. Anybody know that name? If you know that name, you know, you probably don't want to raise your hand right now. But, but Bob Fitz wrote a lot of songs like, um, 
the Lord reigns. Um, uh, what else? He is lovely. Uh, praise to the Lord. And, I mean, there's just old Hosanna integrity. Most of you may not even know what that is. But um, he was around the time of like Ron Canoli and all those guys, you know. And, uh, and just powerful worship. Well, we were going to Hawaii and... Uh, a month before, I, I was just wondering if he travels and worships somewhere. So I put his website in, and it says they're doing no traveling, but that he's based in Kona, Hawaii. So I said, okay. So I wrote his, hey, hello, my name's Eric Miller, missionaries, blah, blah, blah. Uh, I got kids who love to worship. Would you be willing to meet with us for coffee? You just got to do that. You know, he wrote back himself, you know, and I'm like, that's cool. You know, and so we, we end up going to Kona and we have coffee at the Kona Coffee something. And we're sitting there and I'm sitting here going, you know, you, you don't realize this, but songs that you sung, I've been singing for all these years and what God's done. And, and they really just bless us. We had a great time with them. His wife was texting us the next two or three days after, hey, make sure you go, you know, visit this and that. We had all these common friends. and so, It's just cool how God opens up doors, right? You know, when we, when we just pursue and we remember the wonders of the Lord. Amen. All right. Let's talk about evangelism. How many of you like evangelism? You know, I think it was Keith Green. It may have been somebody else before him who said this, but he said evangelism is the key to church boredom. Oh, by the way, happy Memorial Day. And uh, anybody who's been in the military, thank you so much. Amen. Uh, I want to thank you because I know that probably for some of you, you, you may know people who didn't make it back. And that's really what Memorial Day weekend is about. It's not just about barbecue chicken. You know, it's about people that, that laid their lives down. And Jesus said there's no greater love than people who lay down their lives for others, right, for their friends. And so uh, I, I don't understand that. He didn't put, you know, a certain condition on theology in that scripture right there. He just said there's no greater love. So you deal with that. But thank you. So I want to talk to you about evangelism growing through sowing. Growing through sowing. Somebody once said, you take care of the sowing, God will take care of the growing. Let me say that again, because it's easy to lose sight of something so simple, is that you take care of the sowing and God will take care of the growing. It's not all our responsibility. Isn't that good news? I want to go through some scripture and I'm going to go through some principles and give you stories about what we've done in evangelism to encourage you. From what I understand is the leadership here and all of you have been really feeling this sense of moving forward in evangelism in unique ways. And we, we want everything to be led by the Holy Spirit. Amen? I mean, if we could be led by the Spirit in worship and prayer and intercession and uh, co community groups, which I know you guys have. And um, I, 
Derek, I want to I want to tell you something, man. I'm so proud of you. I'm so proud of you because you know I I love seeing someone who knows they're supposed to serve in a local body, but then feels called to go out. And I want to say uh, we're proud of you too for allowing them to do and be who they are. Listen. Yeah, you know, because it's not just about being on the same building all the time. It's about going out. It's about telling the world or our neighbors and everybody in between. You know, and, and that's powerful. You know, I, I was coming up on, uh, I guess, your Facebook page and, and or his maybe, and I saw something about his ministry, something for one, voice of one. And, uh, and I clicked on the website. And I saw this website that I immediately became covetous uh, over. No, I, I looked at it, I'm like, holy smokes, that's awesome. You know, it's so simple. And we've been wanting to do that. And we've actually, at the end of the year, I won't go into all the details. We felt like the Lord's actually given us a name for our ministry, which we not, have never wanted to just put a name to it, but wanted the Holy Spirit to birth that. And he really did through some unique circumstances. So we're calling it Revival Cry International. And, um, and so you'll see we got some things on the table. Amen. And so we're, we're really excited about that. And then somebody who, uh, some former missionary friends, um, they had a 501c3, and they said, we, we're, we're supposed to give this to you guys. And so we're, we're actually working on that. And so we wanted to have a website, but... Without a name, with all, the, all these different things, it was kind of a challenge. And um, so he said, man, you need to talk to Jessica. So I messaged, called Jessica. I said, Jessica, you know, I think she's with the kids, you know. Hey, what do you got to do to make a website? <laughs> and she's like, man, just, just come over. Let's do this now. You know, I'm like, oh, my gosh. Where have you been? You know, I... I and they're just like, you know, we there's been a huge help. So we're going to meet this next Tuesday and and uh, working on that. I'm like, holy, praise Jesus. Anyway. You take care of the sowing, God will take care of the growing. Amen. <laughs> now, in the Amplified version of the Bible, and I'm just going to read this one verse, and then I'll read from the NIV and some other scripture. Uh, Mark 4.13, Jesus says to them, Do you not understand this parable? How will you understand and grasp the meaning of all parables? So what parable is he talking about? Does anybody know? The parable of the sower. Jesus said the most important parable of all parables that we can understand is the parable of the sower. Jesus said that. And one of the uh, websites I was online, I was reading, it says the parable of the sower in Mark, specifically Mark 4, 1 through 8, and it's in three locations, right? Matthew 13, Mark 4, and I think Luke chapter 8. And it says, the parable of the sower in Mark 4, 1 through 8 is a meta-narrative of all parables. It is an explanation of how all parables and all teaching 
work. Friend, this is important here. If the disciples don't understand the parable of the sower, then they don't have the spiritual insight to understand any parable. The parable of the sower is necessary for us to understand how to mature in our relationship with Jesus to go beyond becoming believers into being disciples of Christ. Amen. Jesus did not give the Great Commission and say, go make believers. He said, go make disciples. That is a lot of responsibility. Now I'm going to go, skip ahead to 1 Corinthians chapter 3, verses 5-8, through 8, and then we're going to go back to Matthew uh, 13 and read verses 1 through 23. I would encourage you to put Matthew 13. That's my favorite version of it because it has the most explanation. Um, as a priority for you to read every day and become extremely familiar with. But you say, well, I'm not an evangelist. That's not the point. You're called to do the work of an evangelist. All of us are. We are all called to make disciples, not just the pastors, the teachers, prophets, evangelists, apostles. No. Everyone is called to make disciples. So let's skip ahead here um, in time frame, uh, biblical time frame. 1 Corinthians 3, 5-8. This is Paul speaking. What after all is Apollos? And what is Paul? Only servants through whom you came to believe. As the Lord has assigned to each his task, I planted the seed, Apollos watered it. But God has been making it grow. So neither he, neither the one who plants nor the one who waters, is anything but only God who makes things grow. The one who plants, the one who who waters have one purpose, and they will each be rewarded according to their own labor. For we are co-workers in God's service. You are God's field, God's building. We could spend the entire time right there. There's a lot of meat right there. because And, and the greatest thing that I get from looking at that scripture is that this whole thing is not about us. But God chooses to use us to sow. And if we would plant and if we would water seeds, God should get all the glory for making things grow. We can't save anybody. My goal is not to pray prayers with people. My goal is to lead people to a place of repentance. And when they see their need for Jesus, they will be born again. Whenever you see a baby being born, a doctor really doesn't have to do much except guide the head. Because when that baby is ready to be born, it will be born. But the mother continues to sow. Even the father continues to sow, right? And nurture and help that child come to a place of being ready to be born. So you and I have a great responsibility in the body of Christ and in the world 
to sow and to water and to keep our hands off of trying to make things grow. If the church would be the church in identity and purpose and allow God to be, Jesus to be the head of the church, we would not have the problems we have within the church. But if we would grow in the knowledge of our responsibility and see this parable that we're going to get into right now, Matthew 13, the parable of the sower as uh, the, the most important one for us to understand, then we will see change. And that's why we will do evangelism, right? This is the purpose and the reasoning why. It's not just because I'm a big loudmouth from New York, right? No, it doesn't make somebody an evangelist. Just because somebody grows up in the church and has generation of, you know, I was intimidated by people who had generations of preachers in there and I had nothing. You know, I had no believers in my family. And then now my kids are on fire for Jesus. And their kids' kids will be on fire for Jesus. You see, this is how this whole thing can change. Is that when you stop focusing on what you, what other people are telling you to be or what you think you should be and find out what God tells you to be, then you get filled with this passion and this overflowing desire to say, i got to tell the world about Jesus. Matthew 13, let's look there. Now I'm just going to read this right through. I might comment a little bit, but I really want to get somebody's principles at the end. It says, that same day, Jesus went out of the house and sat by the lake. Such large crowds gathered around him that he got into a boat and sat in it. While all the people stood on the shore, then he told them many things in parables, right? Stories. Stories that tell, uh, you know, give information that is something to be revealed through revelation, right? A farmer went out to sow seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path. And here, there's four types of soil we're going to read about here. Number one, uh, some fell on the path and the birds came and ate it up. Some fell on rocky places where it did not have much soil and it sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. And next, uh, and then when the sun came up, the plants were scorched and they withered because they had no root. And then number three, other seed fell among thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. And number four, still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop 160, 30 times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let him hear. You know what Jesus was saying? is that, yes, planting seed and watering seed is important, but before you do that, sometimes you've got to prepare the soil. And when you prepare the soil, when you love people, when you are patient, when you open your life to them, when you not only help the homeless person on the street, but you welcome people into your home to sit at your table with you, When, when you express compassion before theology, you start seeing people the way that Jesus sees them. And you start giving your life for a purpose that is bigger than you. 
It's bigger than your own self-promotion. It's not about you anymore. And you see in the light of who Jesus is a great desire of the Father's heart for sons and daughters to be brought back into the kingdom. And you break over the prodigals and you break over the ones that had a form of godliness but are bound up in religion. And you begin to say, I love you. I want you to see what the reality of the kingdom is like through my life. How I talk. How I spend my money. In my marriage. In my family. What I do with my time. In secret. This is why this parable is so important. Because when it falls on good soil within your heart and mine, we begin to develop the heart of the Father. Hey, it's the name of the church. Number 10. The disciples came to him and said, asked, why do you speak to people in parables? You ever, any of you watched The Chosen? Isn't that cool? I like it all. You know, it's not all from the Bible, but it's kind of cool stuff to cause you to... You know, don't don't quote everything from the chosen and be like, Jesus said, you know, and now Jesus didn't say that. But anyway, it was a good idea. <laughs> but it's pretty cool because it kind of you. I like the scene where all the disciples are sitting around the fire today, uh, together and they're just talking about things. And, and we got to remember that they were just like us. You know, and they right brings it in perspective and they're out there trying to figure out, you know, Jesus is out there in that scene. He's healing the sick, and they're talking and talking and talking and talking, like the church does a lot of times. Talking and talking and talking, not doing anything while Jesus is out there doing stuff. And then he comes back, and he's tired. Because although he was fully God, he was also fully man. And, and so he learned obedience to the things that he suffered. And so as he's coming back, While the church is just talking and begin to argue, they're standing up accusing each other. And then what happens? Good night, guys. That's all Jesus said. And he goes to his tent. And he's like, I, I don't think he was angry. I think he was just showing them what it's going to take. If we're going to go win souls and make disciples, it's not going to happen on Sunday morning only. It's not going to happen just within the four walls. He was trying to help them to see that the church has to go outside. We'll get more into that. Verse 11, he replied, Because the knowledge of the secrets of the kingdom of heaven have been given to you, but not to them. Whoever has will be given more. And they will have an abundance. Whoever does not have, even what they have will be taken from them. This is why I speak to them in parables. Those seeing, they do not see. Though hearing, they do not understand. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah. You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For these people's hearts have become callous. Callous from what? Sin. 
They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and then turn up would heal them. Let me encourage you, if you've never heard the message by Paris Reedhead called Ten Shekels and a Shirt, anybody heard that before? Okay, some of you? I encourage every single person in this room to read or listen to that message. You can go to YouTube or Sermon Index and different places. It's, it's all over. But one of the most powerful things I heard just before we became a missionary was that we weren't just going to the, the poor Filipino people to just tell them that God loves them and has a plan for their life, but to go and warn them to flee from the coming wrath. You might be thinking, well, okay, that sounds kind of harsh, but it, it, it depends how you say it. The law is good if it's used correctly. But if you bring out the law to be a hammer to smash people instead of building them up, it'll never work. I actually learned that the hard way in Hawaii. I've been doing this a long time. And the Lord challenged me, did you have the love for that person that I wanted you to have? You wanted to say all the right things. You know the right things to say, but did you have a heart of compassion? And it broke me. And I needed to hear that. Come on. But I, I, I'll tell you that when we begin to see people the way that the Lord sees them and see the effects of sin and how it's destroyed people's lives, it'll give us more patience. Look, we, being at the Brownsville Revival and watching Steve Hill, who wasn't just evangelist behind a pulpit, but out in the restaurant and in Walmart, and in Whataburger, because he liked to go there a lot, that when you would be, when, when Steve, whatever he would preach, oftentimes he would have tears in his eyes, red eyes from crying, and, and being broken for the lost. His goal wasn't to just have an international revival, it was to win the lost. And he was a man who, who lived like that, and he understood what it was going to take in order for the lost to hear, but he also had to give them the truth so that they would receive the word being planted in them and that it would take root eventually and grow. Verse 16, I'm, I'm just finished this up. But blessed are your eyes because they see, and your ears because they hear. For truly, I tell you, many prophets and righteous people long to see what you see. He's saying me the Messiah who's standing in front of you right now. But they did not see it. And hear what you hear, but they did not hear it. Verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on rocky ground refers to someone who's heard the word and receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they lasted only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop yielding 160, 30 times what was sown. So 
he was trying to open up their eyes to understand this parable, parable and how powerful it would be because it's where our sense of urgency should come from. That's what I was talking about with Steve, is that there was always urgency in Steve Hill's voice, but there was patience in knowing how to plant and water. So we have to learn how to value people and not just see them as notches on our belt or a trophy that we could say, you know, that, that we won to Jesus. Because the moment that you promote a, 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 a new believer, they can easily fall into pride. But if we will love people and not just, you know, say, hey, look at this guy. He was this before, you know, Jesus, and now he's that, you know. And, and we promote. This is why so many celebrities, you know, they get promoted so quick, and then you hear, yeah, they're not even living for Jesus anymore. Because they're not ready to handle that. And, and look, there are people who are born again that are born again that I would never think are born again. Not based on my judgment, but based upon the fruit of what God knows about their life. Because Jesus said, you will know who are mine by the fruit they produce. And I don't see all the fruit of everybody's life. I don't see when they repented. I don't see what's going on in secret. And how many of you, you, you ever live like this, a sin confessing, the old roller coaster Christian lifestyle, right? I lived like that for years. And, and, and then breakthrough came and I was changed. But listen, a lot of what was sown in my heart as far as the gospel wasn't lining, the theology wasn't lining up with what I saw in other people's lives. And it messed with me. And it made me think, well, it, so my standard of living for Jesus is really based upon this person's life. And that's completely wrong. Now, we have to teach people how to base their standard upon Jesus and Him alone. Now, obviously, we have a role to play to influence people. So if I go commit some sin that everybody knows about, they're going to be like, oh, man. That's heartbreaking, and it causes people to fall away. But if we will understand that when we lead people to Jesus, we're not just trying to get them in the church. We're not just trying to get them into a, you know, a home group or something. Or we're just trying to get them to the next level all the time. But patiently love them. Be involved in them. If they fail, guess what? You and I have been there already. We know what that's like. Probably just this past week. And, and, and I'm not devaluing holiness, impurity, anything like that. I'm, I think I'm actually emphasizing it by saying that holiness is not based on law. It's based upon grace. And if we'll teach people how to be holy as He is holy, it's only because we understand a love and a grace that you and I don't deserve. So it teaches us to be caring and concerning about people who we got to bring into the kingdom. So let me, let me get into some principles. I have 10. We'll see if we get through it because it's already 12 o'clock. Um, 10 principles of sowing and reaping an evangelist. So number one, be baptized in the Holy Ghost. Number one, if you can get baptized in the Holy Ghost, you will become a witness for Jesus. 
That's the entire purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Acts 1.8. But, you know, the Holy Ghost will come upon you. You'll be my witnesses. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, ends of the earth. So the purpose of the baptism of the Holy Spirit is not to fall on the floor, to have manifestations of the Spirit, to just speak in tongues. Those things happen. I like when those things happen. It's great. But if it doesn't happen, I'm still a witness for Jesus when I go to lunch this afternoon. <laughs> right? Baptism of the Holy Spirit. So I'm going to just leave that one there. If you don't know what that is or have not been baptized in the Spirit, uh, for whatever reason, I want to encourage you to continue to pursue that and not give up. And I would be more than happy to uh, pray with you. We, uh, and, and, you know, I, I know your leadership as well would have no greater desire than to see you filled with the Holy Ghost and walking in the Spirit. Uh, number two, uh, and, and this one's a little bit longer. So why prayer and evangelism are so important together? Why prayer and evangelism are so important together? Well, the first one is prayer without evangelism teaches the church to stay within the four walls of the building. I didn't say prayer was bad. We're talking about the value of prayer and evangelism working together. Okay? We've got entire movements just based on prayer, just based on evangelism. Now, most likely, those are being led by apostolic leaders that are called to equip the church. But unfortunately, a lot of people like to choose a side. Because Jesus didn't just do crusades every day. He actually spent a lot of time in prayer with his disciples as well. And Jesus just didn't sit in a house of prayer all day and saying, Lord, we pray that souls get saved. When he said, yeah, they will. Don't you remember what I said? Go ye therefore. Yeah, I, I, I'm not blasting anybody. I'm simply saying is that we, we like to say, well, I'm called to be an intercessor. Praise God, you're a Christian. My house, temple of the Holy Spirit, is called to be a house of prayer. Good revelation. I'm not called to be an evangelist. Well, it's not what Paul told Timothy. Do the work of an evangelist. Right? Look, I understand that there's leanings. You know, people think of Jeremiah Johnson. They don't think, you know, he's, a, he's necessarily a, a pastor, although to some of you he probably was. They're going to think a prophet. Right? I mean, that's pretty obvious. He's been doing pretty well with that. Prayer without evangelism teaches the church to stay within the four walls of the church. Evangelism without prayer teaches the church to be fearful of lost people. Try going up to somebody who's African American right now and, and, and going to them, or Asian right now, and as, as a white person, if you don't go up there with, the, with a, a spirit of prayer and evangelism, you are going to encounter the spirit of this age right now. To not everybody, but I understand that. But a lot of people right now, I think that one of the greatest revivals we're going to see is through African Americans here in America. I really do. I feel like the, the enemy 
has come against them so hard for so long because he's intimidated what will happen. He's killed their babies. And he's and 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 I I, I have great friends who are African American. Best man at my wedding was. We in fact I, I've been praying for him for the last 20 years. His name's Chris. And I hadn't seen him. I don't know if I shared this here, if we've been here since last September or not. But uh, we lost track when I moved to the um, Philippines in 2003 and, and just didn't have a number of contact. And, and he wasn't on social media. So I've literally looked on Facebook, Twitter, you name it, all, everything out there, even MySpace, you know, for like 20 years. And looking for this guy saying, Lord, where is he? I would call up friends from high school. We play basketball together all the time. And uh, I'd say, do you know where Chris King? Man, I don't know where he's at. So we come back. I'm in New York. And uh, I'm like, Lord, do you know where Chris is at? I mean, I've wept over this guy because he doesn't know the Lord. But I've said, where is he? So I call up a guy that I've called up three times over the last 20 years and ask the same question again. Sometimes you got to be persistent with souls. And I said, uh, Larry, do you have any idea where Chris King is? He goes, you know what? You remember Lloyd? We used to play basketball, all of us together at the park. He goes, yeah, Lloyd, Lloyd saw him yesterday. And I just heard about it. I said, for real? I said, see if Lloyd could get his number for me. All of a sudden, within like minutes after getting off the phone with Larry, a phone number comes up, don't know the number, but I'm like, all right, hello, who's this? Yo, E, where are you at? This is Chris. He said, I just talked to Lloyd. He said, I'm in New York City right now. He said, I'm working there. He's two hours south of where we're at. He says, I'm driving up to meet you tonight. I get off at six. You know, when you pray for somebody, it's not just because of the history we have, but when you pray for somebody, God conditions your heart to love them. This is why prayer and evangelism is so important. We met at Buffalo Wild Wings. That's where men go. I ladies too. She's like, yeah. Chris is a big guy. He's about 6'3". He always kind of protected me when we went to the park, you know. And he's like, uh, he's like, man, I've been looking for you for 20 years. It's the first thing he said to me. Tears in his eyes. He said, are you a missionary? <laughs> I said, oh, yeah. He said, I heard you play basketball with Manny Pacquiao. He goes, let's go inside. He said, I'm not going to say nothing. Tell me everything. You want good evangelism opportunity, friend? It don't get better than that. I started from early on. We sat there for two hours. And I, I mean, he was talking as well, but just tears. He says, you know, your family was always there for me. Hardship. You know what he did after that? We text each other and stuff from time to time. Um, like within a week after that, I think it was, he said, hey, bro, 
he sent a picture of him and his family going to a Catholic church to water baptize one of his kids. You might think, oh no, you know, Catholic church. But, but here's what this told me, is that that's all Chris knows. And he's trying to do something. He's not far from the kingdom. Jesus said that at times. You're not so far away. You're close. Friend, don't worry about getting everybody to understand everything perfectly before they get saved. Just let them come. Just let them come. Just take them there. Just guide them along a little bit and leave the rest up to God. And then when some religious person says, oh, who's that picture you took with someone? Are they a sinner? (laughs) You know what you could say? You could say, why, are you looking in the mirror? No, don't don't say that. (laughs) Don't say that. No, but, but you understand. I mean, Jesus was a friend of sinners. He hung out with less people. You know, one of the reasons why I miss the Philippines so much is because I play basketball three days a week. And you know who I play with? Mostly guys who don't know Jesus. Because it's hard to reach men sometimes. So, go to where they're at, and I say, hey guys, let's go out to eat afterwards. And then, unload. (laughs) Listen to them. Pray with them. I've had guys confess to me, nobody knows us. I committed adultery on my wife. I don't know what to do. And we talk about it. Other people, I've gone to their funerals, their mother's funerals. Missed their mom terribly for months. Pours out their heart to me. They look at me like I'm their priest. It's fine. 80% Catholic in the Philippines. I'm standing in front You know, you sow into people, and then it opens up doors to other people. So I'm sowing into this guy. He says, uh, we're having a funeral for my mom, my kids, and Casey used to go to his mom's house. That's how you get your family involved, too. And they made a huge impact on his mom. They'd sing, and she'd make them food, and she'd ask them to come over, and she was suffering with cancer. Dad would come out with the saxophone. People just open up when they know that you care. I heard somebody say that once, right? People never care how much you know until they know how much you care. And then she dies. I'm asked to preach her funeral with others. Some of the wealthiest people in our city are in there who probably would never hear the gospel, the real gospel. I got up there. I started sharing with tears. It was packed. It was like a room like this, but it was totally packed. People outside. Only white guy in there. Kind of used to that now. But I'm Filipino in here. I tell him sometimes, I'm a black man trapped in a white body who lives in Asia. 
love people. Shared at that funeral. Oh, man, people were broken. Just asked people to raise hands, prayed with them. Boy, whenever I hang out with any of those people, they're like, oh, Pastor Eric is here. I don't care about that. You, you understand? But, but here's the deal, is that I have a wide open door. We haven't been in the Philippines in the last year and three, four months, but you know what? When The devil knows that when, when we step back on that soil off the plane, it's on. No way you're going to take us out, which I don't think it was all the devil. I think Jesus has a lot to do with it. When we get back there, we're going to continue to sow seeds. We're going to reap a harvest. I believe that. Oh, boy. Are you okay with time? Can I go a little bit more? And then the last one of that, prayer without evangelism, evangelism without prayer, and then prayer plus evangelism equips disciples who makes disciples. Prayer plus evangelism equips. See, the other ones were teaches people what to do. We talk about prayer a lot. We teach people what to do with prayer. We teach people about evangelism but we don't do them. But when we equip people, they become disciples who make disciples because they do what they see modeled. They do when they know that you believe what you believe is real. It's not, it's not a game you're playing. It's not just getting through life. No, friend, this is real stuff. See, that's what they're looking for. I don't care if you're a good preacher or not. You don't have to be a good preacher. You just got to be a good lover of Jesus. You just got to be someone who loves his presence and then shares it with whoever you can. Let me say that. Let me go through some of these quickly. Number three, go to the poor first. William Booth said, go for souls, go for the worst. William Booth found our Salvation Army, right? He said, go for souls, go for the worst. I, I have a friend in, in Vietnam uh, we saw him at Brownsville years ago when we first met, and he was, uh, he was sharing his testimony. He has tattoos from his neck down. He was a witch doctor in, uh, in Vietnam, and some missionary was out there preaching on the street one time. You don't think anybody notices, friend. Just know that the prince of the power of the air always notices. <laughs> he don't like that name, Jesus, being proclaimed. And, and be careful not to judge the guy holding the sign on the side of the street. He's doing more than some people are willing to do. Maybe there's better ways to do it sometimes. Maybe that's exactly what God wants him to do that day. But some missionary was preaching. This guy heard it. He surrenders his life to Jesus. He starts preaching Jesus. He's in a communist country. He gets thrown in jail. So the only thing he owns is his uh, mosquito net. So he prayed this prayer. Lord, I will share my mosquito net with anybody you want me to. 
prayed that prayer, and God began to put on his heart to ask for the worst of the worst. So he would go to them, excuse me, would you like to share my mosquito net with me at night? Oh, yeah. Lay down. Guy's ears right here. Starts leading people Jesus through that mosquito net. They have an underground church. This is over 10 years ago, more than that, that I've heard. They have an underground church that was started in a prison. Has over 40,000 people. Through a mosquito net. Prayer and evangelism makes disciples who make disciples. Go to the poor first. That's what we did when we went to the Philippines. Look, if you don't know who to go to, first of all, pray. Ask God to give you some people to focus on, to pray for. People you work with, go to school with, neighbors, blah, blah, blah. And just don't give up. And then, you know, scatter seed wherever you are. It's not your responsibility for what type of soil. We're always scattering seed, right? And then sometimes we're watering it. But, you know, last night we stopped at, like, CVS or something. We need to pick up a couple things. So I walked in there, and uh, I walked by some ATM machine, and it, like, talked to me. So I, I was like, what in the world was that? And, and she kind of laughed, and I saw she laughed, and I go, hey, are you having a good day today? She says, I'm doing all right. And I said, oh, that's awesome. I said, do you know that Jesus loves you? And she said, yes, I do. And you just don't know. And, and I said, well, man, praise God. And she, says, I, she said, do you know what time it is? I told her what time. She says, oh, I get off in a little while. I said, I bet you need a good rest. I said, God loves you so much. And just kind of left it at that. You know, I had to get in the car. We were late last night. But go for souls, man. Go for people, you know, we, we've had over 50, 60 people live with us in our home, whether it be two weeks to years. We've had transvestites get saved and live with us. I've had to go downstairs on the second, on the uh, first floor of our apartment to break up a fight between, between two transvestites, former transvestites. They both got water baptized, but they're still struggling with things, and they were kind of hitting like that, you know. And uh, back and forth, and I and I went up to them, and they're they're just ah, just going at it. So Filipinos are a little bit smaller than I am, so I just kind of and uh, I said, "What are y'all doing?" I said, "Come on, sit down. We're gonna talk this thing, you know." But I had those moments. I didn't say, "Get out of the house." How could you do such a thing? Probably all they know growing up. I mean, I'm not telling you what to do. I'm just saying there's things that we can do that if we're willing to do it, they'll get saved. One of those young men is still walking with the Lord. I have been through more stuff with this young guy, probably than anybody in the Philippines. Disciple. But I want to tell you, he's still walking with Jesus. He's, he's making an impact. You know, when the first time I saw him, he's the ugliest woman I ever saw. <laughs> he's actually a really good-looking young man. Got his teeth fixed up. Had hair down here before we knew him. 
wore woman's clothes, makeup and everything. Doesn't do that anymore. We call him Mr. Philippines now. He refers to himself as Mr. Philippines now. I remember the first time that he told me he was struggling with lust over some girl. <laughs> I, I walked over here for a minute. I said, well, Lord, is this good news? <laughs> <laughs> How do we deal with this? I'm like, well, you know, hey, bro, let's keep our eyes pure and everything, you know, but... Uh, yeah, I'm sure she's pretty. Praise God, you know. Thank you, Jesus, you know. Man, you just walk through stuff with folks. Oh, gosh, I'm not getting through this. Number four, fish with a, fish with a pole and fish with a net. Single pole, one-on-one, and then... Go cast your net with your church sometime. Maybe there's a park around here. Go out there. Hey, I know. I, I don't know if you guys remember Yesu Potam. Yesu Potam from India. Dr. Brown has worked with Yesu Potam. It's probably the most trips Dr. Brown has taken around the world, and he's taken a lot of them. Uh, the most have been to India. There's a, a man named Yesu Potam and his wife, Monica. He's from India. He was the lowest of the caste system in India. He was a terrorist at one point. This guy got radically saved. His ministry is called Love and Care Ministries, and they have planted over 7,000 churches. He's planted churches in Korea, North Korea, or South Korea. He's planted churches in Madagascar, in the Philippines, in the north. He's planted them in different places. And right now, he's been planting one in Germany. They gave him land. They gave him property. You know how he started that church in Germany? Indian man in Germany, okay? Put that together. Going up, he's just small. He goes up, he's the most humble guy. But when he talks to you, he drops bombs on you. And, and, and he's, he just goes out there and he hands, handed out hot dogs to people, homeless people on the street. He's got a church in Germany now. Property, building, God's given him everything. Still asks for Five or six years. It's incredible. People say in Germany it's a graveyard for Christianity. Not to this guy. Because he's seen Jesus. He keeps his eyes on Jesus, not what the what's happening around him. He told me one time he came to the Philippines. He goes, Brother, we're in the car. No, he calls me boy. Forty seven year old man. Puts his hand on my leg, and he goes, boy, what are you doing for Jesus? And I was telling the different ministries because they were asking, and, and all the people behind me were really impressed with what we were doing. Oh, that's so awesome. He goes, oh, that's good, boy. That's good. And at that point, we were only feeding three days a week. And he goes, but you should feed them every day. He said, you should clothe them every day. He said, you should educate them every day. He said, then they will be your missionaries. <laughs> he just took it another level. See, when you're sowing and sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, sowing and reaping, then your faith explodes into doing things that most people could never comprehend because they, uh, they don't step out and try something. But I want to tell you, once you step out, 
it's like the river of God comes. And he moves in power. Oh, man. All right. Just a few more minutes, I'll be done. Oh, Reinhard Bonnke once said, don't pray for fish to jump in a boat. Cast your net. It's pretty good. Uh, I'm going to give you five steps to discipleship. Maybe I'll stop here. Um, five steps to discipleship. Intentional discipleship always leads to powerful evangelism. What does that mean? Make disciples before you evangelize. What? What, what I'm saying is have the mindset of not just going out and going fishing. Catch and release. Catch and release. No, catch them and clean them. And then cook them in Jesus' name. <laughs> but, but, yeah, yeah. So these five steps of discipleship that I teach our students all the time that I want them to just have in the back of their mind. It's number one, Jesus did it. Jesus did it. Okay, number one. Number two, Jesus did it with them. Okay, number one, Jesus did it. Number two, Jesus did it with them. Number three, Jesus watched them do it. Jesus watched them do it. And then number four, they did it. They did it. And number five, repeat the process. Disciples who make disciples. They watched Jesus heal the sick, cast out demons, and raise the dead. Then Jesus said, hey, I'm going to give you some authority. Go do this stuff. <laughs> he didn't say it like that. Go out. If they welcome you in your home, leave your peace. They come back. Lord, you won't believe what happened. Even the demons were subjected to us. Yeah, that's awesome. You know, but... Remember that your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. That's most important. And then, or he did it with them, and then they, he watched them do it. And then he said, it's, it's better for you that I go away. Jesus said that. Look, you got to remember all of what they've seen happen in about three, three and a half years. Now he's telling them, it's better for you that I go away. What? No, it's never been better since you've been here. We don't want you to go anywhere. Amen? <laughs> he says, it's okay. When I leave, the comforter's going to come. See, this is a principle about discipleship and evangelism that is extremely important and grossly overlooked. If Jesus knew it was better that he get out of the way so that the comforter might come and they do the work, then why are you and I still in the way of seeing disciples go do the work? Here's, here's what I'm saying, is that Jesus allowed himself to be confined to the body of a human. He said, it's better for you that I go away. 
so that the comforter might come. What happened when the comforter came? The Spirit went in everyone. So, multiplication. God became so much more present in the world. Obviously, his presence is everywhere, but he wants to use people. And when we allow the Holy Spirit to fill us and use us in ways that only he can. Look, there are people in this room that you would reach that I could never reach. You understand. Whether you know as much theology or not, that's not the point. Is You understand these people. You have a compassion. You have grown to understand some things about them in their lives that makes you want to, uh, you know, give you, help open up their hearts to receive Jesus. I'm just going to read these last five real quick. Uh, number six, community evangelism. Open your home. Uh, number seven, hospitality leads to spiritual breakthroughs. Uh, number eight, God sets the lonely into families. There's no more lonely people than sinners. And I will encourage you, because it sounds like that's an important thing here right now, that if you will understand the value of God sitting lonely in a family, if God, in fact, if that's what the Holy Spirit is speaking to you about, it is, it is in regards to you becoming a community. And I had this word in the beginning, and I forgot. The, that, that your community is coming closer together. And I want to encourage you to get all in or, or find somewhere else to go. I'm not trying to be hard. I'm simply saying, choose where you're going to be rooted. Because if you don't, it's going to be hard for you to see the lonely sent to a family. Because if somebody comes into my house and sees that Casey and I are not in agreement, or our kids are not in agreement, they're not going to feel comfortable or welcomed. And it's so easy for you and I to say, well, let's just get behind the pastor and do what he says. And that's not the way you've, God's designed his body, and that's not the, the, the desire of this body. Because I've seen how you guys have flowed in the times that we've been here and, you know, seen and heard some things. Talk with some of the elders and leaders. And I love the fact that you want it to be a body ministry. And you have people with strong gifts. That's okay. When we moved to the Philippines, we had five families. Everybody had a strong personality. Husbands, wives, even if they were quiet, it was strong personality. We literally almost killed each other multiple times. We lived in one house together in Pensacola for the first few months before we moved to the Philippines and lived in one house together for a year and I want to tell you, if you'll stay long enough where God's planted you, you will grow. And you will learn how to love your neighbor as you love yourself. And the more that you die to yourself, the more that you will have a heart for people outside. And then those who are lonely will find a family. And that's what they're looking for. They're not looking for an institution. They're not looking for a team. They're, they're just not. They are looking for a place to, to find mothers and fathers and brothers and sisters. Even if you're not directly discipling somebody, you feel a responsibility. You ever hear that? I don't know. It's not in the Bible, but, it, you know, it takes a village to raise a child. There's a lot of truth to that. 
The primary responsibility is to the parents. But that's the purpose of the body of Christ. Our kids are not who they are today because only because of us. There are great men and women of God who've poured into them. Some known, some nobody knows who they are. And they've poured into them. And, and I want to tell you, if we'll think like that, instead of just classroom discipleship, and I understand there's a place for a classroom. I lead a ministry school. I understand there's a place for that, but here's the deal. It's about this community, this body becoming one. And when we become one, Jesus prayed that his church would become one in John 17. Why? Because he and the Father are one. Oh, thank you, Lord. Oh, let me just say one last one. This is only nine. I won't get any other one because it's too difficult to explain. Need more time. He said it in the beginning. Praying for Israel. The gospel is to the Jew first. If that messes with your understanding, you need to seek it out and ask the Lord what it means. The church has forgotten God's chosen people. Oh, we're all one new man, but there's a priority. There's a priority because God is, it's God's plan of redemption. It has nothing to do with one people group or more important than another. It has everything to do with doing things God's way so that Jesus can come back and call this thing over. Started in Jerusalem. Paul tried to go to Asia, couldn't go. So where did he have to go? To the east. Right? Right? Yeah. No, west. Went west. Why always say west? Why in the world would I say east? They went to the West. Paul's missionary journeys. The gospel has continued in the, through the Americas. When I first moved to the Philippines, I said, Lord, why'd you bring us to the Philippines? There's so many missionaries here. And I saw a vision of a Bible opened over Asia. And I read a book called The Back to Jerusalem Movement, the Chinese church, and their mindset to take the gospel back to Jerusalem. I thought... Man, the Lord's been speaking to me about this, but I'm not in China. So, Lord, I want a Back to Jerusalem movement here from the Philippines. Because he's not coming back. Remember, when, when the gospel started in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, it was all amongst Jewish people for the most part. And then they didn't want him for the most part. And so what did God raised up a guy named Paul who said, I'm turning to the Gentiles. What? Gentiles are getting saved. How many of you are thankful for that? Probably most of us. Gentiles, the purpose of the Gentile church, read Romans 9, 10, and 11. The purpose of the Gentile church is to make Israel jealous. I prayed this prayer in the Philippines in 1996. Or 1997. Must be getting old or something. 2016. 96, I wasn't even right with God. Had a form of godliness, but anyway. Uh, 2016, where the Lord gives me that scripture, Romans 1.15, the gospel to the Jew first and to the Gentile. I'm like, Lord, what does that mean? Help me understand. Look, we've been under Dr. Brown for 20 years. I understand to a certain degree what that means. 
If I said, Lord, I'm in the Philippines. I've never met a Jewish person except my wife. How in the world am I going to win Jewish people to you? He heard that prayer. He said, just keep praying that out, praying it out, praying it out. So start meeting with people who have all these burdens for Israel in the Philippines. And then comes October, the Feast of Tabernacles comes around, right? Been praying for almost a year now, maybe a four to six months at that point. And, and uh, this group says, we're going to have a Feast of Tabernacles celebration in three hours outside of our city in the island of Mindanao in the Philippines. I'm like, Feast of Tabernacles? And they said, yeah, we want you to be the main speaker. Feast of Tabernacles? That's my life. You know, I don't talk on those things. I don't understand. But God's trying to expand my borders a little bit. And, and I, so this is what I did. I said, Casey, I need some notes on the Feast of Tabernacles. You give me anything, I could preach anything, you know. And, 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 and just, so I'll take her notes. And I'm like, oh, man, it's like another language. And uh, so I start, you know, preach. I, I get there, and I'm, I'm expecting like 40 people to show up, okay? And they're putting stuff around my neck as I show up, and there's like droves of people walking around. I'm like, what's going on here? So I walk in. There's 1,700 people there. And I'm talking on something that I've never talked about before. I've heard a little bit about it, didn't have enough understanding what to say. So I'm like, thank God for these notes right now. So I start preaching, and I go through the whole thing. Amen. You know, people are, you know, God's touching me. You can see the Lord moving on, and I'm like, what is going on? There's police officers here. They're all standing like this the whole time. And I'm so I, I, I'm like, I'm going to move into an altar call right now. Give an altar call anyhow. <laughs> I, I mean, probably 50 people run forward. I'm thinking, what is going on right now? There's no Jewish people here. Why are these people doing this? The police officer gets on his knees and starts repenting and accepts Jesus into his heart. People are crying. I'm praying. People are all over the place. I'm as floored as anybody. I get in the car. I drive three hours back, and I go, what was that? And he says, remember, to the Jew first and to the Gentile? The end of October, early November, we're on a date night. We normally go on a date every Monday night. And we're walking through the mall. And there's this young lady selling soaps and all these uh, minerals and stuff, you know. And she says, where are you from? She has an accent. We realize she's from Israel. In one month, we're taking our first trip to the Israel. We have prayed for 20 years up until that point to be able to go to Israel. We've never been there. Always wanted to go. And the first time we meet a Jewish person is a month before we're going to Israel. In the mall on our date night. And she says, where are you from? She was so excited to meet foreigners. And so we start talking and stuff. Her name was Liel. We said, hey, why don't you, uh, we, we're going to Israel. You're going to Israel. She says, so, so wonderful. She says, how can I contact you? We, we connect. We said, when we come back, let's get together. Well, just so happened that when we were coming back, it was around the same time of Hanukkah, 
And Hanukkah was that year for the first time in 40 years coinciding with Christmas. We said, Leo, come over to our house. Celebrate Hanukkah with us. Well, she tells Casey, I'm an atheist. We say, that's okay. We don't believe in atheists. <laughs> so she comes to the house, brings this boyfriend, this guy, another foreigner guy. You know, he looked like Mr. Hollywood. I mean, he was just, you know, this perfect looking guy. And he comes in. He doesn't know what he's getting into. And she's an atheist. And then we got everything set up, all the Hanukkah stuff. And then she tells Leo, would you pray some of the prayers in Hebrew? And she goes, uh, that's how you get them involved. And she says, well, I haven't done that since I was a kid. She says, I guess I could do it. She says, well, we're all, we're dancing. You know, we're doing dreidels and stuff. I mean, it's hilarious, you know. This guy, the big guy's like, you know, what's going on here? And, and, and she's loving it. Last, when she's leaving, I, I say to Casey, I don't know what it is. But I said, for some reason, if Liel needs a place to stay, we need to open our home to us. She said, I felt the same thing. Okay, first of the year comes, the first week, I think, she says, I lost my job. She calls Casey one of the few people that she knew. And she says, I don't know what to do. My ticket isn't to leave for so many more months. And um, what should we do? I'm talking about to the gospel, to the Jew first. And when you've set your face intentionally on seeing Jewish people get saved, God will put that in your way. So she comes. Did I share this here? I never shared this here? Okay. So she comes, and we said, you're supposed to live with us. She goes, what? She said, yeah, just come stay for free. You don't have to pay for anything. You know, who are these people, you know? So she comes. We're eating. We're talking about God, Jesus, the Bible every day. I don't believe those things. That's fine. It's okay. You know, and we're talking. She's getting loud. I'm getting loud because I'm from New York, and I know how to do it. And, uh, and, and Jews, you know, in New York, we, you know, we're all big mouth. And, and so it wasn't like we were mad or anything. It was just we're loud, you know. I, how we text message in my house, we don't use a phone. I just say, case, you know, that's how we talk to each other. Some of that Puerto Rican stuff comes out, you know, on my mom's side. Anyway, and so we're, we're going back and forth. She's crying some days, and she's, you know, just, I don't believe this stuff. Okay, whatever. So then we're supposed to take the fire school students towards the second, third week of January on a missions trip eight hours north to a city called Cagayan. And we said, Leo, look, we're, we're going to leave you the house, and you could just you can have the whole house to yourself. We'll be gone for the weekend, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. We'll be back Monday. She goes, oh, wow, thank you so much. Where are you guys going? I said, we're going to the city of Kageyam. We're taking our Bible school students up there for a missions trip. She goes, can I go? You want to go on a missions trip? I'm like, she didn't even know Jesus. Okay. You want to come with us? I think we got enough room. So she comes, stays with our family. We had rented a little place to stay. And we go up there. And so Friday night, I knew it was going to be on. The Lord gave me a strong message of just deliverance, repentance, you know. And so I said, look, Leo, I know you don't believe this, but um, um, demons are going to come out of people tonight. She goes, what? That's so stupid. She goes, whatever. I'm just going to sit on the side. 
Friend, I am so happy to say that the devil came to church that night. There were at least six or seven people vomiting. They had trash bags and cans and everything. People were bringing, and, and just, you know, all this stuff. And I'm like, Liel is looking at this, looking at the people going, oh my gosh, what's going on with them? I'm like, demons are coming out of them, you know? And, and so she goes to Casey and talks for a little bit. And then she comes to me and she goes, can you pray for me? I think I have demons. I said, yeah, you do. And I just pray for her. <laughs> so she's, she's crying, doesn't know what to do, just, you know, tore up. The next day, I'm preaching on the baptism of the Holy Spirit, I think. And I said, uh, I said, Leo, remember when we talked about Acts chapter 2 and Pentecost and the New Testament, right? Different from, you know, it's kind of the fulfillment and all that. And she's like, oh, I don't know, whatever. And I said, people are going to speak in tongues tonight, and you're going to see the power of God. And like 30 people got baptized in the Spirit tonight. So all these, and Filipinos are awesome because they're not like, no, they're like, you know, and so they're just, I'm not saying you have to have that, but it was necessary for Liel to go, wow, what's going on? You know, they're just all over. You touch them and like 45 of them fall down, you know, and, and they're just, boom, hitting the floor and everything, you know. And she's just crying and stuff. And then we go back to our city and, uh, and about a month later, Keith Collins comes um, and speaking. We're doing a, a evangelism conference, actually, revival conference. And she responds to an altar call, gives her life to Jesus. She still lives. She's back in Israel. She's living there, and we keep up with her. And she's doing well. There was at one point where Paul Wilbur, the famous Messianic worship leader, um, she was following Paul Wilbur around Israel, going to different concerts. And... Uh, Gosh, there's so much to that. I need to end. This is, wow. All right, let's all stand. Thank you for being so patient, guys. It's fun to talk to people who want to hear. Because I could talk. I know that, you know, one time I heard that in a Chinese church sometimes that they would because they couldn't meet together in public places in one of these regions, that the underground church would pray on where they should go meet. And then at like 2, 3 o'clock in the morning, 300 people show up in the woods, and nobody sent out a message to anybody. They all show up being led by the Spirit to the same place. And then they have a meeting that lasts like 8 or 9 hours. So you got to learn how to preach that long. So I, I feel like... I'm equipped to do that at some point. Look, he's coming back. But he's not going to come back until the Jews say, Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Friend, you might say, I don't know where to begin. Begin with your testimony. They overcame by the blood of the Lamb and the word of their testimony. What you sow, you will reap in joy one day. Psalm 126. Come on, just lift your hands for one moment. I'm praying and asking God for a release of empowerment this morning. 
Lord, we're not Christians that are defined by the building we go to. We're Christians because we are Christ followers. We are disciples of yours. And Father, right now I release an empowerment of the Holy Spirit for evangelism. I release and just thank you, God, for the empowerment right now, for the fire of the gospel to come upon them, for there to be a fresh baptism of holy fire, prophetic unction, Lord, grace to do things that they couldn't do before, nor did they know they could do it. But in Jesus' name, I release the power of the Spirit today. Lord, I declare an open heaven over their lives, over their families, over their businesses, over their schools, over this church, God, to reach the lost, God. Lord, to, to, to see the captives set free. Lord, as Derek was talking about Isaiah 61, we want to see the fulfillment of that, Lord God, that you would rend the heavens and come down. Lord, we believe for revival, but while we re wait for revival, we do evangelism. We make disciples, God. Lord, in Jesus' name, release mission fields in their hearts this morning, God. Or revive those that are already there and strengthen them to pray for those nations and people. Lord, give them a heart for people in their family, their neighbors, uh, those who are around them within their vicinity of life. Give them a, a, a sense of... God, of, of your hand being upon them. The strong arm of the Lord is upon you this morning. He's strengthening you. He's establishing his kingdom in Winter Haven through this body. He's establishing his kingdom. His purposes will be fulfilled. I declare that over Winter Haven. I announce and proclaim it today that the kingdom of heaven is at hand. The kingdom of heaven. This is the body of Christ. These are a people of prayer, a prayer, of the, a people of the word, a people of empowerment, a people going to the nations, God. Open up the doors. Swing open the doors, God. Open the doors for hearts, God, for nations in Jesus' name. Come on, right now, I see the Lord giving keys to you. I see he's handing out keys to each and every one of you. He's saying, take this key. I've given you the keys of the kingdom. I've given you the keys. Go unlock hearts. Use my law. Use my spirit. I've given you two opportunities, two ways to cause people to be convicted and set free by the power of my spirit. Lord, I thank you for ideas and methods and, 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 and ways, God, that come from within this congregation in Jesus' name. Lord, we, first of all, we pray for lost family members. And we pray for those that we know that are lost. We lift them up to you right now in Jesus' name. We say, God, that we ask God for repentance in their hearts. And that we would continue to be a people of prayer, crying out for them in intercession. So that their soul might be brought into the kingdom. What an honor it is, God, that we have the opportunity to serve you, to know you, to love you. In Jesus' name, I bless Derek and Jessica and the elders, God, and the leadership. I thank you, God, for vision. I thank you, God, for a heart to serve. I thank you, Lord, for empowering them today by faith. Lord, we accept it, and we'll move forward with you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Praise God.
Thank you so much for listening. We hope that this message has been a blessing to you. Our sermons can be found on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and SoundCloud. To contact us or find other resources, go to www.hotfmwinterhaven.com.